0: Welcome to the Living Bulwark Podcast. I'm John Wilson.
1: And I'm Bridget Bonifont. This is a podcast dedicated to introducing you to people throughout the Sword of the Spirit. We will invite a guest to each episode and just spend a few minutes getting to know them and hearing part of their story. This is Ashley Shaver.
0: And I'm John Wilson, and this is the Living Bulwark Podcast. It's great having you in the co-host seat, Ashley. Yeah. We miss Bridget, as she's away for a few months. I'm really grateful for you sitting in with me. And we're here today with Martin Steinbreitner. Martin's an old friend, and it's great having you join us. Thank you. Martin lives... um, outside of Ann Arbor, but doesn't hail from Southeast Michigan originally. Where are you from, and can you just tell us how you got connected with the Sword of the
2: Spirit? Yeah, yeah, well, I'm from Vienna, Austria, um, mostly known for the sound of music. And I got involved in charismatic renewal when I was 14, at the very early, in the very early days of charismatic renewal in Austria. And uh, we eventually started a youth community, which then became a community with um, families, etc. cetera. And um, when uh, the community here from Ann Arbor started a, uh, an outpost in Belgium, that's how we got connected with them. And that was the beginning of our connection with, in those days, wasn't yet the soil of the Spirit, um, but which eventually became the soil of the Spirit. And then for you personally,
0: that became then a connection with the servants of the word and you live spending some time in Ann Arbor. How did that come? about? Yeah.
2: It, um, to make a long story short, because it is a long story. Um, uh, before I met the servants of the word, I felt the Lord calling me to live single for the Lord. And so I made a, an initial commitment for a year to the, uh, to living single for the Lord in my community and in front of my community. And during that year, I met uh, Bruce Yocum and I was sort of interested in what we now call a gap year. And uh, I mentioned, I thought, well, he can certainly point me in a direction and sort of as a side comment, I mentioned I was living single for the Lord and said, well, maybe you should do this gap year uh, somewhere where there's brothers living. And they had just moved from Belgium to London. And so I uh, spent a first year uh, with the Sermons the Word in London. And then found your way to Michigan as you're... Found my way to Michigan. Uh, it took a little while because in those days, the servants of the word were um, uh, um, uh, a brotherhood simply for the community here in Ann Arbor. And uh, so originally uh, they... well. Because there was so much interest from me and other people from outside of the US, uh, they had sort of a status of friends and but then eventually the as, as the word became international and that's so I'd come to an arbor before that, but uh, that's when I could finally really start the formation process and eventually um uh, make my lifelong commitment. Interesting. Interesting.
0: Yeah, I didn't realize that that was kind of the uh your connection was connecting with a development within the brotherhood's mm-hmm. identity. You've done a lot of, um, mission work mm-hmm. in a lot of different places. Um, is there some, a, a part of that you would highlight or a, a continent or, a an aspect of what you've seen?
2: Yeah. I, I guess, uh, the most, uh, the most Uh, impactful for me personally were four years I spent in Lebanon uh, for two reasons. Uh, It's a beautiful place, but it was also uh, just after the civil war. So it was a a battered and wounded country. But also uh, the lingua franca in that community is Arabic, even though some people speak French, some people speak English. So I had to learn the language. So it was the most... um, real missionary experience, if you want, just from, from that perspective. But also, it's a culture that's significantly different that that also um, impacts you a great deal, apart from the fact that people are beautiful and, um, you know, it was great, great experience. So
0: you were actually living there yes. that whole time? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Wow.
1: How many places have you lived in your lifetime?
2: Well, I've never counted it, but obviously— I grew up in Austria, then I, uh, so I lived in London, I lived in Northern Ireland, I lived in Lebanon, I lived in um, in uh, uh, Michigan, I lived in Lansing. Um, yeah, part of Michigan, just to clarify. Oh, uh, so, sorry, uh, Ann Arbor, or just outside of Ann Arbor, and then, uh, and then uh, Lansing, yes. And you speak a few languages. I do. I grew up bilingual. So I grew up speaking French and German, Uh, and in school I learned English, and then um, after school I learned Spanish, then in Lebanon I had to learn Arabic, and then I worked for 11 years with a community in Poland, so I had to learn Polish. My theory, and this explains both Martin's many
0: languages and my one, is that the more you learn, the easier it gets
2: up to a point true. when when you when you reach my age when you reach my age it it uh, certainly becomes more difficult but i'd say the other the other thing is if you learn it just sort of in an academic way say in a setting like uh here in the us and you learn arabic you know well here in the, in, in near detroit you might actually use it but my point is if you if you don't actually have a context in which to use it it is much more difficult and you sort of, you're much less motivated.
0: One of the things that you and I have connected on over the years that I've found helpful is actually the area of mission and how that relates to our life and community. And, um, there's a, a fruitfulness there and there's also a tension I wonder if you could just reflect on kind of that whole area mm-hmm. uh, and what you see as challenges that we face and what you see as opportunities and uh, mm-hmm. what you think the Lord might have for mm-hmm.
2: communities in the in the area of mission. well, I'll start with the um with the opportunities I would say the stranger or uh, the darker. Uh, I don't want to be too dramatic, but uh, the less Christian, shall we say, our environment becomes, the more you stick out, even without trying to be strange or weird. Um, uh, I remember uh, working in Northern Ireland and the simple fact of actually having a meal around a table was a prophetic thing almost. So I think... um, what we do, the way we live, the way we raise our children, the relationship between old and young, between single and married, that it, that becomes very quickly something that stands out and uh, uh, can be immensely attractive long before you actually grasp what the gospel is. At the same time, um, our, all of our communities have a very strong life together. And um, it can become... Uh, sort of, you can become insular uh, for two reasons. One is um, it actually takes a fair bit of your time simply to live committed community life. Uh, But also, uh, if community life works well, you have tons of very satisfying relationships. And uh, uh, you're either not motivated or you actually, at least you feel you're too busy uh, to really... Uh, make connections with the outside. And some of us uh, at least think that they actually don't have any relationships with non-Christians, which that's a different story. I don't think that's true, but that's the perception, I think, of many people.
0: And it's interesting, Ashley is here, and we talked in the last episode of her experience connecting to community, and she's kind of on the newer side, although it's really not, she's not that new anymore. Yeah, it doesn't feel like it. Mm-hmm. But I, I wonder for you, Ashley, that transition into community being a little fresher, how you see that um, both, again, opportunity, mm-hmm. but also the tension. Like, do you feel yourself getting sucked into community life so much that, mm-hmm. oh, I don't even know any non-Christians anymore? Or are you still like, no, wait a minute, that's... We need to not miss these opportunities, yeah. or are you some of both?
1: I Yeah, I'm a good in-between. I talk about this a lot, actually, when I talk about my experience in community, and that's one of the—it's like I have a love-hate relationship with this part of community because community became my life very instantly when I joined, and I loved everything about it, that it was very easy for me to say— okay, this is where I receive my life, this is what I'm going to prioritize. But I grew up in public schools with a lot of non-Christian friends and even family, and I very quickly just started to kind of ignore those and just like invest in Mm -hmm. community relationships, Mm -hmm. which just recently has caught up to me, and I've noticed, yeah, this probably isn't the healthiest. I think community life is um, very—gives you a lot of life, but it also— The point, right, is to give you a lot of vision for like, okay, we're in community together as Christians, like living this radical way of life. If we're not doing anything to like bring others in or go out and step into um, our non-Christians' friends' lives, then like what are we doing? Mm -hmm. There's no point in that. Um, So, yeah, I I go a lot of back and forth, but just recently trying to look at my life and say, okay, when am I like too busy with community that I don't have time for my friends and family that I used to? That's great. How can I change that? Yeah. So I find that interesting that you see that too. <laughs> when you are saying that, I was nodding like, yeah, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. And I'm, I'm very much the, I don't know anyone. I, I, I sometimes sit, don't even say, I don't know any non-Christians. I say, I don't even know anyone outside of community. Mm-hmm. And I do think that's not true and it's a it's a certain kind of blindness and um a limiting really I think of what God can do because I think what I'm saying when I say that is there is nobody in my life that I believe God will use me to bring to him right if that makes sense it's yeah. it's a lack of faith
2: not a lack of contact mm-hmm. with other people mm-hmm. we um i I worked with different communities on that very area. And one of the fascinating exercises is uh, we help them sort of do a matrix um, where you say, well, this is work. This is play, for lack of a better word. This is family. Um, this is neighborhood or something like that. And uh, first of all, write down all the people that you actually intersect with. And you realize, well, you know. The cashier at Kroger's and uh, uh, the guy who uh, where I pump my gas, etc., and uh, then pick three people and start praying for them, uh, because that then exactly does what you uh, were uh, describing—that suddenly God actually gives you faith that if you just invest a little bit in talking to this cashier every day, that something might actually happen. You know, so yeah, yeah. and we we had a conversation here with
0: some of our newer members in word of life and we were asking some, some people were asking about the place of evangelism and outreach in the, the established community. We've got the outreaches around the edges, but what about, you know, are we, do we even want to bring in, you know, older families for instance, into community and is that happening? And, and, uh, one of the people who's a longer-term member, I thought it was really helpful, said, um, I am aware of actually quite a bit of missional <coughs> excuse me, outreach in our community, but <clears throat> it's very difficult for a family with, say, three or four kids that experiences the Lord in a particular way to kind of uproot themselves Mm -hmm. and join something like Word of Life community. But that doesn't mean, and here again, I think I limit myself because I look at the cashier at Kroger and I think, I'm never going to be able to connect this person with our community. But again, that's a lack of vision because that's not what that person primarily needs. Right. What she primarily needs is the Lord. Mm Mm-hmm. And I can connect her to mm-hmm. the Lord. And I, I, I think there's a way that in the sort of the spirit, we can be too, um,
2: all or nothing kind of thing.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's, it's, we are trying to bring people into community and of course we want them to yeah. know the Lord, but it's like, no, the Lord is primary.
2: Mm-hmm. There's an interesting story. If I can tell that, um, I live out in the country outside of Ann Arbor and, uh, virtually across the street, somebody bought a plot of land and then sort of gradually is in the process of building it. And so different ones of uh, my housemates sort of went over there and started sort of finding out who is this neighbor and befriending him. Next thing we find out is that um, he's looking for a a homeschooling setup um, and... um, Uh, At last, East, and they were they were clearly sort of nominal Christians, not particularly involved. But eventually, we connected them to a a parish here in Ann Arbor, Christ the King. And uh, last Easter, they got um, baptized, confirmed, and they got married. Because they weren't sort of um, married in the church, and uh, again, they haven't joined community, and I don't know whether they ever will. But we clearly had an impact on them by inviting them over, by talking to them, and that's exactly what you say about the Kroger thing. I mean, it's a it's a it's a very particular story, of course, but you know. yeah, yeah. You have a, an advanced
0: academic degree. Could you tell us? why you did that and what it's
2: in and my brothers ask me that all the time <laughs> no i have a i have a phd in uh, organizational behavior and uh, the background is i i did my undergraduate degree in uh, in business and then really did very little with it except uh, during the periods when i um, uh, was doing sort of community administration uh, but i was quite interested in um and I took a number of courses before I embarked on this uh, PhD uh, of uh, trying to understand how do you run organizations. I remember vividly a um, <laughs> a course I went to uh, at a particular business school. And um, uh, this guy was sort of describing uh, an organization. And the, the longer he went on, I go... Um, this is amazing. I mean, he's talking about my community. And, uh, so I went up to him and said, how come you know so much about the, the, the organization I, I'm part of? And he says, well, badly run organizations all look the same. <laughs> uh, and, uh, but so I, I realized at some point that we can have this notion that just because we're a community or we're a Christian organization, uh, the other rules don't apply and we can't really learn anything. And so that was, that was really my, um, my motivation. And um, uh, I would say, I mean, I do a lot of, I've done a lot of uh, some, somewhere between being an outside coordinator for a community and being a consultant, because I, I actually think that you know outside coordinators are in some ways consultants and the spiritual stuff about it, but there's also how you set up your leadership and your communications, et cetera. So I've actually found it uh, very helpful as well. Could you draw out, like, uh, maybe
0: this is dangerous, but one or two or three patterns that you see within the sort of the spirit within communities that are you you said poorly run organizations all look the same like what are some ways not to just focus on the negative but Mm -hmm. what are some ways you see that Mm -hmm. as organizations we
2: could uh, do better uh just as a as a caveat i'm not implying that all the communities of our listeners are poorly run. A, I don't know them, but also I wouldn't imply that in the least. I mean, that was a little bit of a quip at the time, but uh, it it was the case that I learned a lot. Um, One example that immediately comes to my mind, uh, we have a lot of meetings in our communities. And uh, I am struck how little we invest in learning how to run meetings. I uh, used to... um, be responsible for our student outreach and, and the staff team. And uh, we said we have to get better at this because, A, sometimes these meetings can be frustrating, but also they're not particularly uh, useful uh, the at the way they're run. Another area uh, I would say is um, because we're so relational, we um, do a lot of communication sort of through the grapevine or informally. But as we grow... Um, Invariably, uh, some balls drop, and some people don't hear it, or they hear it, uh, you know, third hand. And so, putting together a more, a more um, uh, solid and maybe structured communication system. Uh, one last example: um, we all, I mean, in a typical community, most of the work is done by volunteers. And uh, that's part of what you sign up for when you join community. But it's very easy for the community and the community leadership to take that for granted. And there's a lot of very, very helpful literature and wisdom about what you call volunteer management. It's both so that they actually feel encouraged, that they actually understand what they're supposed to do, um, that they that they get the training they need, that they get the onboarding that they need, um, And all that. And I think, again, uh, some of our communities are not particularly good at that.
0: Yeah, that's
2: that's kind of convicting. Martin always
0: brings challenge when I ask questions like that. That's my ministry. You've been involved with some communities in Africa. Can you explain? just share some of that, like what you've done and what
2: exists in Africa that we have some connection with? Yeah, um, uh, the background or the history uh, was a very interesting one that at uh, one of the first international uh, coordinators' meetings in London, uh, I think it was Bruce Yocum at the time, the late Bruce Yocum, who uh, somehow had a sense that uh, this group... Of brothers should pray that the Lord would open uh, the um, the continent of Africa because you know it's obviously a large continent and we had no connections. And uh, a month later, somebody contacted me and said, um, uh, "Listen, uh, there's this group in Uganda and they're looking for help." And uh, and then I, out of the blue, I got an email from a pastor in Kenya. And so we started dabbling, if you will, with Africa, just simply uh, figuring out how it works and uh, um, the travel piece and, and the communication piece, the language piece. But right now, we do have two communities in Tanzania um, who, who are, um, you know, in formation. In fact, a couple of their leaders were at the international uh, uh Coordinators meeting in Asia because uh, one of the brothers from India, Luke Lobo, works with them primarily, and so that was a that was a good connection. Um, I could talk for a long time about Africa. It's very very fascinating, and I think if and when Africans really become part of us in a significant fashion, it will impact us. I think in a in a very very positive way.
1: I'm just curious, talking to someone who's lived in so many different countries and communities and from someone who has seen different communities. I was just in Glasgow a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. and have been to London and Northern Ireland. Um, there's something about what I appreciate about sort of the Spirit is you can go to a new community in a brand new country and instantly feel like you're home.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So have you experienced it that way of moving so many times of, yeah, just the communities feel like home no matter where you are?
2: Yeah, uh, I would say so. I mean, obviously, uh, you also experience the differences. Uh, uh, For example, whether it's an ecumenical community or an all-Catholic community, uh, the size makes a big difference. Um, But uh, I also used to do a lot of mission trips with... Uh, young brothers and sisters from different communities. So the team, uh, the team often had uh, members from five or six different communities. And one of the most striking things for them, because they hadn't traveled so much, was that people said, "Are you guys? You know, you know are you guys from the same place? You know, you don't speak the same way, but you, there's something. There's sort of a spiritual DNA that's clearly the same for for all of them. So yeah, I agree with you."
0: Yeah, it's sort of the, the unity and diversity that is, um, one of the privileges of being able to visit different communities is you have both that feeling of being at home as well as, you know, experiencing Mm another
2: culture. And at the same time, um, whenever, because we just talked about Africa, whenever, uh, You um, try to plant or try to foster a community in a new place. You deal with new realities and have to figure out how do we incarnate that. I mean, I worked for a long time with a community in Belgium uh, where you had uh, two languages. You had uh, three different cultures because they also had uh, Congolese there and they were scattered all over the country. Or, for example our community uh, in Dar es Salaam in Tanzania uh, there you find a you buy a house wherever you can find it I mean clustering is is unrealistic because the uh, housing market works very differently but to drive uh, you know for a mile or two miles can take you uh, four hours because of the way the infrastructure works. So you go, okay, what does this mean for a, a meeting during the week? It, it basically means during the week you can't meet. <laughs> um, so you have to sort of come up with new, with new systems and new, um, uh, the incarnation needs to be different, shall we say, in that particular culture.
0: Yeah, and the, cha- and the, the, the challenges are different. Well, this is great, Martin. I think we're about
2: out of time. Thanks for well, thank you for inviting me. It was uh, it was nice.
0: That was an interesting conversation with Martin Ashley. I he's a guy who's doesn't fit easily into modern American box. He's <laughs> been around and done a lot of different things. Yeah. How did that, how did, what were the impressions you had?
1: Yeah, no, I was really excited to have a conversation with him because I'd heard so much about him, but never actually sat down with him. Um, something that struck me that usually does when I sit down and have a conversation with a servant of the word is their comfortability with uncomfortability. And I think we kind of touched on this in our conversation of living community life. You kind of get wrapped up in this bubble and I think just listening to him share his story and the places he's been, the missions he's been a part of, really struck me of like he's he's a Christian, which makes you uncomfortable already. He's a servant of the word, which makes you even more uncomfortable and you stick out. Plus you're part of this like huge community called Sword of the Spirit, which just seems wild when you don't know anything about it. So there's something about that conversation that really struck me of his level of uncomfortability that should challenge us,
0: I think. Yeah, and it's it, it's interesting. I mean, the the thing you didn't name that might make him a little uncomfortable is he lives in midwestern America,
2: yeah,
0: and he grew up in Vienna.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And if you've ever been to Vienna, it's about th- as far from midwestern America as you can imagine. And in in many ways, but yet the one concrete story he told us about evangelism was walking across his street and it was not just him. It was his household Mm -hmm. and maybe even primarily the other guys in his house. But Mm -hmm. I just think it's a great example of uh, no, no matter where the Lord takes us and no matter how uncomfortable we are, it's the people that are right in front of us that Mm -hmm. the Lord is is asking us to love yeah. we don't ever have to um major on strategy and you know God I want to seek you for your lead it's like no mm-hmm. it's the people in front of you it's the people that God has put in your path that he's given you to love so That's that's really inspiring great well thanks for joining us today it was a pleasure to be with you and we hope that you continue to spread the word about Living Bulwark podcast and that you join us next time. Living Bulwark is a Sword of the Spirit podcast. Our program is produced by John Wilson and Bridget Bonifant. Peter Wilson is our sound engineer and music for our podcast was written and performed by Peter Wilson and Will Cannon.